Good morning. How are we doing? I'll tell you what, I will buy the CD if that girl ever puts out a CD. That was... Holy smokes. That was fantastic. Well, it is great to be with the, uh, the great coastal region. As uh, Bruce Knight said, Mary and I were here from 1997 to 2005 and uh, built so many tremendous relationships and friendships and built so many great memories uh, that are so strong and have lasted far beyond 2005. Um, you know, Marco and Michelle have been dear friends to Mary and I for many, many years. Um, you know, and they've impacted so many souls uh, here in this room, but really all over the world. People have been impacted by Marco and Michelle, and uh, the ripple effect is, is very powerful. And Marco's had a huge impact on me personally, and uh, still is having a huge impact on me personally. He's uh, one of my best friends, and, uh, you know, we've made vows to each other. We're lifetime Friends, We love them very, very much. And I'm certain God will protect them and guide them through this time. And, uh, you know, I'm just very grateful, not just to Marco Michel, I am grateful just being in, in uh, the room and discussing some of the things we've discussed here uh, to make come to this point. Uh, just the L.A. church and uh, the maturity and leadership we have in L.A., guys, you, you just don't understand the blessing uh, the gift it is to church here in L.A. to have guys like Bruce Williams and Al Baird and all of your elders and Henry and uh, all their wives. The maturity and the wisdom and the love and the support um, is just what an outstanding blessing it is, to, it is to be here. And the security that that brings uh, when you go through a time like this. Amen. I'm very grateful. You know, Isaiah 50 and verse 40, it says, uh, He makes, He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That He wakens you every morning and He wakens you so you listen to Him as one being instructed. You know, as we go through times like this, we can focus on a lot of things. We can focus on pain, we can focus on fears, we can focus on uncertainties, or we can say, God, you're working, you're good, you're powerful, you're wise, you're in control, amen? So now I want to listen, God, what, what are you saying to me individually, and what are you saying to us collectively as a church? I'm listening. What is it you want to tell us? Because... If God were here right now, trust me, there'd be things he'd want to say. And really, what God's always about is transformation. Whatever is happening in our lives, he wants us to take it and to be able to enable us to transform. Amen? You know, I think I've got my little thing going here. I don't need that. Are we good to go? You can still hear me? Oh, it's good. Okay. And it's a little loud, isn't it? Is that better? A little better? Okay. Um, And that really has to be our mentality right now. You know, what is it that God is trying to teach us collectively? 
what is he trying to teach us uh, as, as a church? Transformation. You know, you need to be transformed. And I don't know all the ways you need to be transformed, but if you're not a disciple right now, you need to be transformed to become a disciple. If you are a disciple, God wants to transform you to be more and more like His Son, Jesus Christ. Is that not right? And, you know, because of that, we're in a constant state of needing to be transformed. And if you think, Kevin, no, I don't really need to be transformed, you are deceived. You know, transformation and change, God changing us is not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is forgiveness of sins. You know, Bruce's father passed away uh, uh, about a, two weeks ago, I believe, a week and a half ago, and we went to his funeral, and just the, uh, wow, it was one of the most powerful funerals I've ever been to. But just being able to see a life well lived in Christ, and uh, knowing that Ralph had been forgiven of his sins, and now is spending, going to spend eternity with God, that is the greatest gift. But boy, I say, close right next to it is that God transforms us. He changes us. He takes us to our sinful, uh, faithless, whatever we were, into being like Him. It even says participating in His divine nature. Wow. What, a, what an honor that is, isn't it? You know, before I became a disciple and was studying to be a disciple, when I first came to grips with God's standard and saw uh, what it was I had to become, you know, it was overwhelming. When you do that sin study, it's overwhelming, isn't it? You know, you see your selfishness. You see your pride. You see your laziness. You see your lust. I mean, you're hitting on every one of those sins, maybe except witchcraft. And some of you even dabbled there. Um, and, and it's an overwhelming feeling. You said, God, I can't do this. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You can't do this. Um, it's overwhelming. You, you have to have God. And what we're going to talk about here is our need for transformation and that Jesus is the one to do the transformation. You know, but even after I was a disciple, very quickly after I was a disciple, I'd be, uh, was impure with a girl. And you know, there's nothing more horrible than making a commitment to perfection, making a commitment to be just like Jesus, and falling into sin. And also, I was a salesman at the time, and I deliberately lied to a client um, about to save face. And, you know, you, you think, I just committed myself to perfection, and look what I've done. But, you know, God knew that even as disciples, uh, we would blow it. He knew that He would have to take us. And even though we made that commitment, that commitment hadn't yet met up with our own practices and patterns and desires, and that, that battle would be waging of our perfection of our commitment and the patterns of how we think and feel and desire, right? And so there's a process, even as disciples, where we need to be transformed. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible, he talks uh, throughout the Bible, guys are being transformed. And so what you see in the Bible is uh, oftentimes God takes guys and gives them a new name to identify with the transformation. Uh, you know, you have Jacob. What did Jacob mean, the name Jacob? Ooh, we got some Bible scholars, okay. And uh, Jacob, in, in Genesis 32, he wrestles with God and he repents. 
and he becomes Israel, which means God prevails. That's a cool name, isn't it? God prevails. I guess this is cool. Uh, Saul, uh, his name was changed to Paul. Now Saul, the name Saul means prayed for or desired one. That's kind of cool, isn't it? And so when Saul was alive, he was desired and by God. He was pan-picked, desired by God to become a disciple. And then God changed his name to Paul. You know what Paul means? Small. I love that too. Yeah, yeah, but the great apostle Paul. What's his new name? Means he means small. But we have Peter, our man Peter. His name means Simon means to hear. That's interesting too, isn't it? So for three years he's with Jesus, and what's he doing for three years? He's listening. Yeah, hopefully, sometimes he didn't listen too good. But he's listening to Jesus, and then Jesus at some point changed his name to Peter, the Rock. Well, something had to happen between someone who hears and the rock. And I started having some fun. I thought, well, maybe, you know, Stuart's having uh, my son and Ashley, um, his wife, are having their first uh, baby, my first grandchild. And that, you know, names, you come up with a different bunch of names. And they're, well, let's look, you know, what does bold mean? What, yeah, what's the name for bold? It's Baldemar. <laughs> so, you know, those of you that are pregnant, you may think about that. You know, Baldemar. Uh, or, or godly. That'd be a great, you know, godly. Delvin is godly. Pure is Candace. You know, we have a Candace on staff. Pure, that's good, you know. So I thought, well, let's just look at some people on staff in Coastal. What's Henry mean? Catch this. Rules his household. That's pretty good, isn't it? I thought, well, maybe there's something to this name thing, you know. Uh, Steve, uh, uh, Marici, Steve is a crown and victorious. I thought, well, that's good too. That's probably right. Brian. Brian Craig. Noble strength. Well, maybe, well, maybe there is something to this name thing. I said, well, let's look at Bruce Williams. What does Bruce mean? Thick brush. I said, well, let's look up Lupe. You know, Sergio and Lupe. Valley of the Wolves. Watch out, Sergio. What's out, buddy? You know, we, we have a guy down in uh, uh, Orange County, Marshall Mead. Marshall means servant of horses. I don't have to tell you what he does most of the time. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll go right there. Okay. Henry, you liked that, though, didn't you? You did like that. Okay. Um, but as you, look at, uh, as you look at Peter, you know, what you see about Peter is uh, he was a mess. Uh, in Mark fifteen twenty nine, he's boastful. He says that Jesus says, you're all going to fall away. And he says, not me. I'm never going to fall away. Uh, and Jesus just looks and shakes his head. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty two, he pulls Jesus aside and starts rebuking him, telling him, you're wrong. Imagine that. Pulling God aside and confronting him, say, you're wrong. Matthew 26, Jesus pulls a couple of them aside and says, I really need encouragement. With a few minutes, he's sound asleep. John 18, verse 10. Jesus is uh, talking to some guys. Peter just pulls out a sword and tries to cut a guy's head off. Misses and gets his ear. He's a violent man. In Luke 5, Jesus says, hey, you're going to catch a bunch of fish. If you put the nets to the other side, he says, oh, you've got to be kidding me. There is no way. So he's doubting Jesus. 
you know, four or five of the, four or five of those examples where he was already a disciple. Okay, and he was messing up like that. You know, even for me, just in the last two weeks, you know, Scott Sweeney pulls me aside and says, Kevin, I think you react too much out of fear and not faith. Now, being the humble man I am, I completely blew him off. <laughs> and then Marco, Marco and I were having a lunch there at Polly's Pies, and he says, Kevin, he says, I think you react too much out of fear and not faith. I kid you not. He told me. I said, okay, Lord, I don't want to get struck by lightning. I did it! I did it! But right now, that, that's something God's put on my plate, that I've got to examine that, and I've got to be transformed in, in that way. We all need to be transformed. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew 26 and verse 69. Peter's, one of his greatest sin, however, is when he denied Jesus three times. Jesus had already been arrested. He's being questioned. He's about to be crucified. All the other disciples run away. And uh, Peter follows at a distance in a courtyard. And actually, they think this is the exact courtyard where he denied him three times. That's what they say. That's what they think. All right, here we go. Matthew twenty-six sixty-nine. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. He also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't deny it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken before. The rooster crows. You'll disown me three times. And he went away outside and wept bitterly. Boy, how would you be feeling after you lived with Jesus three years, saw all the miracles that he did, proclaimed you'll never leave him, proclaimed your devotion, and then three times denied him. You know, fear and uncertainty are ripe, vulnerable times for us and for, for Satan to have his way with us, aren't they? When you're afraid, when you're uncertain of the future, Satan can get us very vulnerable. Satan can get in there and really mess us up in our lives. But you know, that same vulnerability is also fertile ground for God to transform you. It just kind of depends which way you focus, which way you go. What were his sins? Well, he was a coward. He was a liar and a coward. He was afraid to stand up for Jesus for fear of what that would mean for his own life. He was protecting his own life and was not willing to give up his life so that God could truly have his way with him. You know, we've got to examine how do you need to be transformed. I've got to examine. We all have to examine. How is it that God needs to transform you today, this morning? If Jesus were to have a cup of coffee with you and said, let me just tell you what I think, what would he say? You know what? If you don't know, there's a problem. We always have to know. 
Otherwise, you're not, you're not really in tune with God and what He's trying to do in your life. You know, in this time, he says, uh, Peter, you're going to disown me. And after he says that, he still picks Peter and two others to be close to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even knowing Peter was going to disown him in just a few minutes, he still says, Peter, I still want you close to me. Amazing, isn't it? And in Luke 22, Jesus says, But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. See, all of this is part of the, of the package. All of this is part of God's great plan and, and grand scheme for us to become who He wants us to become. This time didn't feel good. This time was filled with pain and hurt, and self-realization, and doubt, and uncertainty, and fear. And it didn't feel good at all. But God knew what He was doing the whole time. And He said, Peter, when you return, and you will return, pal, you strengthen your brothers. And God knows when you fall, He has faith in you. He loves you and He has faith that you're going to come back every single time. Better, stronger, more powerful than you ever were before. You know, God God needed to show Peter how weak he was in order for Him to really use Peter to do the amazing things that He did with Peter. Peter was way too full of himself, wasn't he? And when you think of uh, you know all the things that Peter said and all the things, you, you've got to be kidding. I mean, even if you thought some of those things, you'd never say them. Uh, but Peter was way too full of himself, and God said, in order for me to really use him, I've got to show him just how weak he really is. He's got to get us to a point that we are completely and utterly hopeless and helpless without Him. You know, I was put on staff in March of 1985, and I really thought I was spiritually, well, just a great guy. You know, I thought I was really a selfless individual, serving the Lord with selflessness. And then I got married. And Mary, uh, you know, wanted to be with me and wanted to do things with me. And I said, listen, listen, you're invading my space. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and don't mess with it. You know, I re- never realized quite how selfish I was until I got married. And God showed me just how weak I really was. You know, I uh, then uh, we, we started working on that stuff. God helped me through the time. Then uh, it was time for me to go on a mission or a, a church, uh, not a church planning, but to help lead a church. And so Mary and I led the Minneapolis church. And, and I thought, this is, this is awesome. They're recognizing my well, prowess, my awesomeness as a minister. And now I will boldly go as no man has gone and, and take on this adventure. 
But we get there and uh, I didn't take the stands I needed to take. People were leaving the church in droves. I saw what a coward I was by, by not taking the stands. And I remember just going to my basement, turning out the lights, and never wanting to come up. God had showed me, you're not what you think you are. And you're not who you think you are. And so Dave and Kathy Eastman, Bruce and Ron Williams helped me through that time. And I learned a lot through that time. And then things started going well again. And, and you know, I, I, I thought, you know, people said, Kevin, you have such great faith. And I said, you know what, I, well, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Well, well, okay, okay. All right. I mean, that, you know, if the truth's the truth. I mean, we can't deny it. You know, yes, I am. I mean, okay. And then I had kids. That'll do her every time. And then I got so fearful and worried, feeling hopeless, and I realized I am not a man of faith. I'm so weak. How has God made you weak so you would see just how desperate you are without Him? And have you learned your lesson through it? Has He made you weak in vain? Or has He made you weak so that you are now more dependent? You spend more time fasting and praying and reading and and being with Him. And now He is the power behind everything you do. How is He making you weak? You know, one of the things you see here with Peter is how his sin escalated. You know, he starts off by just saying, I don't know the man. And, you know, the other aspect here of his weakness was it wasn't like it was a strong soldier that was asking him. It was a servant girl. It wasn't even a man. It wasn't even a grown woman. It wasn't even a boy. It was a servant girl. And he couldn't even stand up for Jesus to a servant girl. He says, I don't know the man. He lied. And then the second time it says he takes an oath and he lies. And the third time it says he calls down curses from heaven and lies. His sin is escalating and it's escalating. And you know, you get caught up in that. You just kind of got caught up in it. And uh, we can get caught up in our selfishness and our sin as part of God helping us see how weak we are. You know, I, uh, I got a ticket. What I did was, um, the, there was a, I was in Denny's, and there was a, a death, a car accident, and that someone died while I was in Denny's. And so there's all the police and everything. So I was coming out of Denny's, and the police are just blocking off the lane I wanted to go in. So I went on the wrong side of the road for about 50 feet to get, to get around them. Police pulls me over and says, what were you doing? Wrong side of the road. Get a ticket. Oh, no. So I went to driving school, and, uh, and what they do in driving school is they say, you, you say your name and what you do for an occupation, and then, and, then you, and then you give your offense. And so these people, one by one by one, are, are giving their names, and every time they got to the offense, they would tell their offense, but they had this long explanation why it really wasn't their fault. And I said, man, I'm sure glad I'm a Christian. I'm sure glad... I mean, I have learned to take responsibility for my sin. And that's really why I change, and these people don't change. Because 
I have learned that I can just say it's my fault, it's my sin, I will own it, take what I need to take, read the passage I need to read, go before Jesus in hopes and change. Thank you that you've not made me not like these others. <laughs> I kid you not. That passage, you know, that passage where that guy says that in Luke 18, that's exactly what I was doing. It came to my turn. And I kept saying, I will show, I'm going to give him an example of a guy who just takes ownership of their sin. So you can really be transformed and really change. I'm going to show them how to do this. Kevin's my turn. My name is Kevin Maines. I'm a minister. And I drove on the wrong side of the road. And all of a sudden you hear a collective gasp. Oh, that's what you don't understand. What happened was, was the guys were on the other side of the road and, and the police and there was a homicide. And so I went this way and you don't understand how it went. And I thought... Unbelievable. I mean, this is, I had listened to an hour and a half of this. I was going to prove to them what a spiritual man was. But you know, there's so often in our lives that something happens or something says, you just think, God, I'm so sorry. I thought I was over here. But instead, I see now I'm over there. Amen? And we've got to be willing not to avoid our sin. We've got to confront it head on. Because, you know, when you confront your sin with God, you win every single time. Every single time. And this is how we transform. Let's go to John 21. So he spends a week and a half here. Um, after he denied Jesus... He spends a week and a half kind of just thinking through what I should do with my life. He goes back to fishing. A lot of times when you, when you sin and you don't deal with it, you go backwards, not forwards. And he went back to what he was doing before. Not preaching the gospel, just fishing. In John 21, verse 6, he says, Throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. I'm talking about fair fishing. Jesus said this to them. Uh, as they're fishing. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning, burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things you know. I love you. You know, it's interesting that it's the same situation when he first called Peter. They were fishing and he wasn't catching anything. Zero. Not one fish. And Jesus said, put your nets on the other side. That's in Luke 5 when he first called him to be a disciple. Now he's doing the exact same thing when he's restoring him after he sinned. Why is that? Jesus said, listen, on your own, pal, this is what's going to happen. You catch nothing. You can do nothing. 
put your nets on the other side. Whether it's to become a disciple, whether it is as a disciple. Now, it's not like Jesus needed the fish because he was cooking some fish back by the fire. It wasn't like he needed that catch of fish, right? He just wanted to show him what was going on. So what would you feel if you were Peter uh, for that week and a half after you had denied Jesus? Probably you could think of nothing else the whole week. All week, you're just thinking about your sin. You're thinking about how you long to be back with Jesus. How you long for that relationship to be restored. He's your Lord. He's your God. He's your best friend. The one you love. But you are separated. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine just how difficult that time was for our man, Peter? You know, it's funny. As soon as they said, it's the Lord, what did Peter do? He just starts running. Bam! Bam! He runs to Jesus. The other guys had this huge catch of fish. They're thinking, man, this is some bucks here. What are we doing? I mean, this is, yeah, I'll go see Jesus, but I got some, this is a lot of money right here. Not Peter. He could care less, right? Forget that. Bam! I want to get with Jesus. He's running to Jesus. Running to Jesus. Running to Jesus. Why? What mattered so much to Peter? He wanted his loving, intimate relationship back with his Lord. That's what mattered. Now he knew, going back to Jesus, this was not going to be a fluffy talk. It's knew that when he went back, it wasn't going to be, oh, that's okay, give me hugs, come on. Kisses and smooches, let's do it. No, that wasn't it. He knew when he was going back to Jesus, there may be a challenge, there may be a rebuke, there may be, you know what, he didn't care. I don't care. If I have a chance, if I have a shot to be right with Jesus again, say what you will, do what you will, I don't care. I just want that intimate, loving relationship back with my Lord. Is that how you feel? When there's something between you and Jesus, I don't care, say what you want to do, I'll listen to it, I don't care. I just want the intimacy back. I just want the love back. Is that your heart? The heart? Of Peter here. And you know, he knew if he could get to Jesus, it would be alright. And you know, that's so true with us, isn't it? If you can get to Jesus, it's going to, I don't care what happened to you, it's going to be alright. Why? Because with Jesus, there's forgiveness. With Jesus, there's grace. With Jesus, there's power. With Jesus, there's truth. With Jesus, there's insight, there's wisdom, there's eternity, there's transformation, there's the Holy Spirit. If I can just get to Jesus, I will be alright. I don't care what you've done, I don't care what's going on. You get to Jesus, you're going to be alright. So he has this conversation. You know, it had to be a little tense little conversation. Peter's running up, Jesus is cooking fish. Peter runs up to him, have a seat, Peter. Yes, sir. Sits down. Have some fish. Yes, sir. He's eating fish. He's not tasting the fish. He's looking at Jesus, waiting to hear what Jesus would say. And after a few minutes of eating, silence, Peter, I've got something to ask you. Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Of all the things that Jesus could have said, of all the things that Jesus could have made the issue. How could you? You hurt me. You coward. You liar. 
of all I've done for you. These are the consequences of it. Your brothers, you want you to... What did he make the issue? Peter, do you love me? That's what Jesus Christ made the issue. You know, whenever there's a distance, whenever there's a transformation need in our lives, this will always come back to the issue. This isn't right, that isn't right, yeah, 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 yeah. All those things we've got to work out, but do you love Him? Do you love Him more than these? In other words, do you love Him more than anything else? The answer is yes. We're going to be fine. But, but, we're going to be fine. But, but, we're going to be fine. Do you love me? You know, he asked him three times, and so he says, well, that was because he denied him three times. You know, I don't, that's probably true, but, you know, I don't know about you, but when I know I've done wrong, I want it to be quick. I want, I want quick solutions. You know, let's say the garbage has gotten out of hand, and I'm supposed to take out the garbage, and Mary says, you know, Kevin, you haven't taken out the garbage. And then, what she may want to do is continue on. Do you know how that makes me feel when I have to, in the stinky and how disrespectful? I don't want to hear all that. I just want to hear, I blew it, let me just take it out, and that's it. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to hear how it hurt. I don't want to hear how it, it get. I don't want to hear what it does. I don't want to hear any of that. But that's not how we change. You know, it's like a tea bag. You know, if you just take a tea bag and you dip it in the hot water, I'll drink the tea. No, you got to put it in there and stir it around a little bit. And where is it? In the hot water. Stir it around a little bit, right? And that's when it becomes good, good tea. You know, the only way we're going to be transformed is if we stay in front of Jesus long enough for Him to delve into the crevices of our heart and our attitudes and our desires and the whys and the wherefores and let the Scriptures and the prayer delve into those. That's how you get transformed. And if you're not willing to do that, you will never, ever be transformed. Can you imagine going through the sin study and you read through the sin list and say, yep, I did those and I'm repent and I'm sorry, let's move on. How much transformation do you think has taken place in that person's life? Not much. So Jesus had him percolate a while. Are you with me? You know, then he says, feed my sheep. You know, one of the things we, we like to think is we just want to repent and that's it. Jesus says, no, that's not it. Ephesians 4, it talks about a person that really has changed and repented from stealing. Ephesians 4.28 is a person that stops stealing, works with his hands, and gives generously. So when is that person really cured of their thievery? When they're generous givers. Does that make sense? It's not when you're just kind of, you know, okay, I'm done with it. No, 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 no. We're not done with it, and we're we're doing the exact opposite. He said, Peter, you're a coward. You're a liar. You're selfish. You're going to repent. 
And the sign of your repentance is now you're going to help all these other people take a stand for me. Be my disciples. Do what you weren't doing. Then, it's repentance. I appreciate a couple in, in Orange County was restored in 2010. And it takes a lot to get restored, folks, to the Lord. It takes a lot of difficulty, a lot of soul searching, a lot of hard things to go through. And uh, they were restored, and now they're the lead shepherds of our campus ministry. I mean, they're getting with tons of people. They're giving. They're serving every day. They're giving to people. Boy, have they repented? You betcha. They've repented. And that's really the sign of repentance that Jesus was trying, the point that Jesus was trying to make here. Well, what do we know about Peter? Well, in 64 AD, we know that Nero condemned Peter to die. And because he was boldly proclaiming the gospel, he had repented of being a coward, and now he was being crucified for taking stands for Jesus Christ. Do you think Peter was transformed? I think so. What are the challenges for you this morning? You know, if you're not a disciple, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why be separated from Jesus Christ and the power and His love and the forgiveness and the unity of the fellowship for even one second longer? Become a disciple. Get baptized in the Christ. Be forgiven of your sins today. If you are a disciple, you need to face the next phase of your transformation, your growth. And you're going to say, okay, God, here I am. Where do you want me to go? And you need to confront whatever needs to be confronted, and you need to percolate there as you run to Jesus until you become a completely transformed man or woman. I love you. Thank you very much.